This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. More than 7 million Americans right now are at least 90 days late on their auto loan payments, according to a new report by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. The data shows this number is a million more than there were at the end of 2010. Federal uh, Fed economists noted that these troubling figures are a surprise development in the midst of a strong economy and labor market. Delinquencies in car payments are higher amongst those who are under the age of 30, which could be related to the issue of student debt. The report also noted that half of the delinquent loans are from auto finance companies, and many of those were made to subprime borrowers. So should we be worried? David Musto is a professor and chair of the finance department here at the Wharton School. He joins me in studio and also on the line with us is Christopher Peterson, law professor at the University of Utah and a former special advisor with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. David, great to see you again. Thanks for coming in. Nice to be back. Thank you, Chris. Great to have you back with us. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Chris, put your finger on it. Why, why all of a sudden have we seen this, this rise in, in auto loan delinquencies? Well, I think it's a complicated problem. Uh, but one thing that I and, – and, and I should also say, too, I mean, I'm a lawyer, not an economist. But yeah. from a lawyer's perspective, one of the things that I've noticed is that a lot of the reforms that we saw after the financial crisis never really touched the, the auto finance market. And I'm seeing some of the same kind of disturbing practices for, that we saw you know, in the run-up to the subprime crisis. I'm seeing those same things happening in a slightly different way in the, in the auto market. And so my concern is that there's a lot of uh, sketchy practices and unaffordable loans that are being made. And some, in some ways, the chickens are coming home to roost now. David? Okay. Well, yeah, I, I took a look at that um Federal Reserve report. By the way, this is something anyone, you can go to the internet and go to the Federal Reserve Bank of New York website. They report this every quarter. And they have all these, this deck of all these uh, slides on um, consumer credit. And they pulled out this thing for this, um, this quarter, this rise. And what you're seeing here is really two things. Number one, uh, people are buying more cars. Right, it's just the car sales have gone up, right. and uh, and the amount, the fraction that they finance has uh, been about the same. So it's just more car loans, and then the the rate of of um, loans going this delinquent, ninety plus days. Which by the way, ninety plus days in a car loan is as about as bad as it gets. Yeah. You're, you're you are going to lose your car uh, to repossession probably if you're ninety plus days delinquent. Uh, that rate has crept up. A little bit. So it's crept up from like the, it reached its very bottom of three and a quarter percent about four and a half years ago, and now it's four and a half percent. So it's that creeping up of the rate and just the ramping up of loans because people are buying more cars. That's what we're seeing. And also, one more thing, which is that we think of subprime lending as having dropped off after the recession. Well, really, in the mortgage market, it did, but the car loan market, it never did. The, the rate of subprime lending is the same now as it was you know, 15 years so ago. So why, why do you think then that that realistically was not addressed uh, as much as it probably sounds like it should have been, David, You know, when we were going through all of these issues uh, 8 to 10 years ago? Well, it you, you have to... There's just two different issues. One is, um, you know, are there is there actually are there bad actors in this area that right. are that are just misbehaving in some way? You know, maybe in the ways that uh, people were misbehaving with uh, 
with mortgages, right? You know, taking uh, legal actions they weren't authorized to take and and making loans they knew weren't going to work out and so on. Uh, is that what we're talking about, or is it just that, you know, um, uh, consumers are behaving in some other way that's leading to this? So for one thing, you notice, for example, is that one thing that's happened while the delinquency rate has been going up is people are taking out longer and longer loans. Right. So when, when the rate, when the delinquency rate was lower, it was like, Five years was your average loan. Now it's five and a half years. And you think, you know, people, they want to buy more car. How do you buy more car with the same payment where you take out a longer, uh, a longer car loan? Well, you know, uh, this is uh, a longer car loan. You're going to have negative equity for longer and, you know, bad things can happen. Yeah. I mean, I'm old enough to, to remember, David, I mean, days when the longest car loan was realistically most times 48 months, right. maybe 60 months in certain occasions. Now we're well above six years and going to seven years for right. a car loan, which in many cases people don't hold on to their cars that long. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the average uh, tenor of holding a car is, is six years. Yeah. So, uh, Chris, I guess the other part to this story is the question we asked at the top is whether or not we should be worried right now and, and linking this back to some of the issues, the debt issues that are out there. There was a recent report out that said that, that the levels of debt that we are carrying are once again creeping up. We obviously know we have the student loan debt. Are, are we potentially looking at, at a little bit of a crisis potentially down the road? Well, I think it depends on whose perspective you you look at. I mean, it's not clear to me, and I'm not qualified to say that this is a a, you know a strong signal that the national economy may be turning. But I I do think it's important to put these numbers in context. So we're talking about seven million families or individuals, we should say, that are facing uh, loss of their their vehicle. Now, but these are families, so they're yeah. living in households that have average of 2.5 people per household. So you figure that's probably you know roughly about 17 to 18 million people who are affected by this. And putting that in context, that's about the same population as you know roughly 12 the 12 12 you know 13 smallest states. That's bigger than the combined populations of New York City, Chicago, and Los Angeles City combined. So for those people, it's it's clear that there is currently, presently, a crisis. And why? Well, because we have a lot of dealerships and auto finance companies that I believe, you know, are fully aware that they're making loans that have a high probability of defaulting. But, you know, they're securitizing these loans, and they still make a lot of money on them. It's very repossession technology has become much more effective in recent years. Uh, and it's no skin off their back if, if a significant portion of these um, uh, families end up in crisis because they're still, you know, essentially running profitable businesses. The other part to it, David, is, is I mentioned at the top, a lot of these loans are uh, that are in question are people that are younger. And then that links back to uh, one of the things we had uh, touched on is the student loan debt crisis that, that we have going on here in America. And obviously, for younger people trying to be able to juggle the payments of the student loans and also their car payments and renting a house or, or, or you know being a first-time buyer, there are a lot of kind of uh, eggs in the mix here to try and figure out. And, and it seems like the auto loans are, are, uh, are, are you know being affected here. Well, they could be, yeah. You just think about student loans. Bear in mind that you know a lot of student loans these days go into what's income, what's called income-driven repayment, right? right? Where you can limit your um, your monthly payment to 
uh, basically 10 percent of your of your of your disposable income, where they take your income and subtract off a subsistence wage. But that subsistence wage doesn't include your car loan payment, right? Right. Uh, so you could have some you could have some feedback there from um, you know I'm making my minimum payment I'm making that ten percent payment on my student loan but that doesn't really sort of factor in uh, this kind of expense of a car loan so there could definitely could be some feedback there. Chris, your thoughts? I, I think it's a it's significant problem and is something that the millennial generation in particular is I think going to struggle with into their middle into middle age and and, and is going to make it more difficult for them to own homes and and save for their retirements. Um, uh, and I'd also add to all of this part of the reason that I think that this is. Um, uh, happening in the auto finance market is that you know we never we never really um, grappled with some of the same problems in this market that we did in the way that we did for mortgage loans in, in the mortgage lending industry um, we created the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau which has done a lot of inf- law enforcement work and created ability to repay and qualified mortgage rules that have channeled some of the unaffordable lending practices out of the marketplace. But the CFPB doesn't have jurisdiction over car dealerships, and there's no uh, ability to repay legislation or regulation that applies to car loans. And I think that you see that. You can really tell in the data the difference between lenders that are attempting to engage in reasonable underwriting and those that are not. So, for example, credit unions, which you know may have some problems here and there, but in the Federal Reserve Bank of New York's data, the credit unions have um, uh, uh, serious delinquency rates between 1% and 2%, very, very you know, low, right. talking 1% out of 100 loans. But if you look at auto finance companies that specialize in these kind of loans and are typically getting their loans brokered through car dealerships, they're the lenders that are really driving these high default rates. Uh, and uh, my suspicion is that a lot of that has to do with their uh, much higher interest rates and their ability to absorb losses and the fact that they are likely shedding off a lot of this risk by selling them into securitization pools that are sold in Wall Street. 844-WHARTON is the number to give us a call, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. David, one, go ahead, David. I'm sorry. Well, I was just thinking if you're asking for phone calls, I'd be curious for if there's anyone, uh, any Uber or Lyft drivers out there listening, because uh, what I've learned, uh, at least what I've been told, is that it's awfully difficult for Uber or Lyft driver to lease a car, to lease a car, because you can't lease a car when you're going to put that many miles on it. Sure, yeah. And so they end up having to um, instead... Um, buy it outright. To, well, well, buy it or, or take out a car loan, right? You know, yeah. to, uh, finance it with a loan. And um, and that's... So when, you, when you're in one of the... An Uber or Lyft, uh, very often you're in a, in a car that's, that's being financed by, uh, by one of these loans. Well, one, one of the questions I had, David, because one of the statistics that, that was brought up is the fact that uh, when we saw the high delinquency rate a decade ago, you also had the fact that there was 10% unemployment in the country. Right now, we're seeing around 4% unemployment. And so there's there's some some thought that this could be having an impact potentially on the, on the economy because of the, the difference in the unemployment rates. Yeah, well, so... Um it it could be, and remember, whenever you see a uh, delinquency rate on any um, any sort of financial product, this is a function of underwriting standards of, yeah. a, few, of a few years back, right? You know, this is we're, what we're seeing in 2018 is really car loans made 
in 2014 or 15, um, you know, that's when the delinquencies really start start to hit. Is is more around you know two three years into it, uh, four years. Um, so um, yeah, well, what's interesting looking at that same Fed data was that um, you'd think maybe they're lenders are pushing their loans further down into the credit spectrum. But one thing that they look at there is, uh, you know, FICO scores, right? Right. The, um, the sort of go-to credit scores. And they they quantify the, the distribution of credit scores of new car loans. And that's not really moving. So coming out of the crisis, the the uh, distribution kind of moved up. Uh, uh, generally speaking, people were making somewhat less risky loans, and and they kind of that's kind of stabilized over time. That's that really hasn't changed, and so that's what sort of drew my attention to the fact that people are taking out these longer loans. Right, so I want right. to buy more car, um, uh, maybe I don't know, maybe because I want to drive drive an Uber Black, right, or something like that. Right, right I want to yeah. drive. I, I want more car, and so I'm well. I guess I'm going to have to. Um, I'm going to have to take out the six or seven year loan, that kind of thing. Chris, does this is, are we getting to the point where this now, because of the, uh, the the underwriting that's going on, that that this is either it is being addressed or needs to be addressed at, at the state or the federal level? How this is actually going on? I certainly think so. It, it strikes me that the you know, the power of the auto dealers lobby in Washington D.C. as well as in the various state legislatures is very difficult to challenge because. Every you know, congressional district in the country has a bunch of you know relatively profitable car dealership businesses that are politically active, and so it's very difficult to you know impose standards of quality and reasonable underwriting on the industry. But but the problem is that our our political system's inability to come to terms with that uh, has serious consequences for millions and millions of Americans. I just want to turn back to that that you know the, the the gravity of harm that is being suffered. You know, you put yourself in the shoes of all these families. You know, it's very traumatic to, to for a family to go through um, losing a car loan. Imagine that you're the single mom or the the, the dad, and you're you got to get your kids to soccer practice that week, but yeah. you can't tell them whether or not you're going to go because you don't know if that car is going to be there. It's going to be repossessed. Um, that that is a and, and and that's happening for entire cities full of people in America. Even though the economy is supposedly relatively strong, it it seems to me that that this points us in the direction that we need to find ways for our political system to make sure that the benefits of our relatively healthy economy are being spread evenly, and that we have some, forgive the metaphor, but some, some rules of the road, some safety belts on, on the kind of practices that, that we see in the auto finance industry. David? Well, I, I was just thinking to myself, what would a policy be, right? You know, with, with mortgages, there's a lot of talk about, you know, the, um, I, uh, how, what the loan-to-value uh, should be, debt-to-income, that kind of thing. And uh, of course, with car loans, a lot of what happens is that people the loan to value is uh, is a hundred percent or more than a hundred percent. Before this um, before this uh, radio show, I just decided to look at some uh, prospectuses from some of these car loan backed securities that you were talking about a moment ago. Yeah, and I was looking at one for CarMax. It's just one one of these you know used car dealers that 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 will uh, finance the purchases and, and, and securitize them. And they say, well, they limit the loan to value to 125%, right? You know, because you're also bundling in the title and this and that. 
Um, and so you are way underwater by the time you drive off, drive off the lot there. Um, so I, I don't know. It, that's the sort of thing you would police if you're going to police something, I think. Um, maybe the debt to income also. I mean, I guess that's, that's, that's the thing to think about, I guess, is what would be a, uh, what would be a policy. Uh, of course, you know, you're, you're, of course, cutting people, you're, you're making difficult people to buy cars at that point if you're doing yeah. that. So what's, what's, what's the right trade-off? But, it, is a, it is an interesting question. But, Chris, I, I think you, right there, that statistic that David mentions, uh, not many people would figure that they would be that far underwater just when you actually drive the car off the lot. I think that's exactly right, and and the you know the the potential underwriting standards that you that are mentioned are I think a good place to begin in starting to talk about reform. Uh, I'd, I'd even say that it's even uh, probably the reality is it's actually probably worse than that because there's a pretty widespread practice called I think the dealerships call it power booking, where they will um, when they underwrite the loan they will um, be creative in determining the value of the various you know bells and whistles associated with the car does it have you know the the right rims does it have the the right you know off-road package or sport package associated with it yeah. and that they can manage to generate a, a somewhat false estimate of the fair market value of the car it, it's very similar to what we saw in the mortgage crisis where um, it, you know the, the the appraisal practices were so loose that you could get very high loan to value ratios that that in turn were deceptively um, uh, understated because you could you know pre you could pad the appraisal. Uh, I think that that's happening in a widespread way, especially for lenders that are not keeping the loans in portfolio. And that's part of the what might explain why credit unions that usually usually hold on to their own car loans and and service them and then and do the repossession all that in house. Credit unions are, are not having any trouble, but the companies that are securitizing it, just like with the mortgage market, um, they're the ones that are having these really high um, uh, loan-to-value ratio securitization pools. So I, I, I think that, and that's the kind of thing that um, law enforcement cases can make a real difference on. You go in and, and find some of the worst actors and show how, you know what, they're they're using false income for their 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 uh, borrower. They're inflating the value of the appraisal. Those yeah. are all deceptive practices, and it's illegal. What's interesting, Chris, as well for me, and this is more on the auto side, but it, 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 it's I think a, a little bit of a generality that I see. I mean, obviously, one of the the things that's discussed about a lot is the fact that uh, the used car market is has really grown in the last few years because of the fact that the costs of, of new cars are so higher, partly because of the technology that's added, but you know the the, the cycle of, of increased costs in general. And I would almost be just anecdotally a little worried if if we're seeing problems like this, even more so with the used car market, where the prices are, are expected to be lower to begin with. It's a, it's a fair point. Um... Yeah, balancing and all that is. I mean, it's clear that the you know the public needs to have access to auto finance so they can buy cars. But you know, the the question needs to be: they need to buy cars, but they need to buy affordable cars, and we need to make sure that they can afford you know how much car they're buying. And and I think the public that's listening to this, they they really need to sort of discipline themselves and make sure that they're not allowing sell staff at car dealerships or, or uh, you know, to, to get them into these really longer duration car loans in order to get a, a vehicle that's a little bit nicer or newer, has more bells and whistles than what they can realistically afford. David? 
Well, yeah, sure. I mean, we've all seen this. Uh, you, know, you buy a house and they figure out what's your debt to income and they show you houses just at the edge of what you can afford. And then they push a little bit further and then they start talking about, well, how, how you could afford that anyhow. And yeah, yeah that's, that's going to be uh, what you might experience in a car lot. One thing people should bear in mind, by the way, is that the interest rate in a car loan is, is negotiable just like the price of the car. Uh, you know the uh, the 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 dealer could make a little more money uh, if if you if, if his pitch you oh that's going to be you know fifteen percent you say okay fifteen percent that's high but whatever you know you don't realize you could have said well I'll pay twelve you know right. uh, you can it's it's it, it's a negotiable number um, and uh, you know uh, not everyone's in the same. Um, uh, position to negotiate, you know, and they, they, they know desperation when they see it. Um, but uh, that is something at least to try. Chris, your thoughts? Yeah, I think it, not only is it negotiable, there's a, uh, I, in my view, insidious practice that, that is very, very common in the auto finance industry. It used to take place in the mortgage market, but it's now illegal there. Um, they're called dealer overages in the mortgage market. They were called yield spread premiums. And the basic pattern is this. You apply for, you go to a dealership and, and you want to get financing through the dealership. So the dealer says, we'll help you find a loan. And then they go out and shop around and find a lender that's willing to make a loan to you. The lender provides um, a rate sheet that lists what interest rate they'll offer the loan to you, to that consumer at, based on their credit score, their income, the vehicle, etc. But if, if the dealership can convince you to take out a loan that generates more revenue for the lender, increase its resale value when they securitize it, then they'll then they'll give a kickback to the dealership called a dealer overage. And so you might qualify for, say, you know, a 5% interest rate. But if the dealer can get you to agree to an 8% or a 9% interest rate, then the dealer gets a very lucrative cash kickback that is comparable to their profit margin on just selling the vehicle outright. And so, but a lot of consumers don't understand that. It's a fairly deceptive circumstance. It also has had a past practice of, it turns out that Latinos and, and, and African-American borrowers tend to get disproportionately um, uh, high interest rates based on these kickbacks, which is illegal and also very troubling. That's the kind of thing that really, frankly, should just be completely illegal for everyone in America, but is not. You know, Chris, I, I bet if you walked out on the, onto the street of, uh, of any major American city right now and you talk to 100 people, I would bet more than 90 don't know that, that you have the ability to, to try and negotiate the rate at which you're, you're going to be paying on an auto loan. I think that's exactly right. And maybe even a higher percentage would, would not realize that the dealership can give you a higher interest rate than you qualify for with that very same lender. I mean, it's almost the, the sort of definition of an inefficient transaction where the consumer's information costs are creating a lag in the market that is fundamentally inefficient. David, final thoughts? Yeah, well, I, I think just uh, you know, in, in the short run, uh, educate yourself, right? I mean, this business about negotiating is is just you know one piece of it that um, you walk on the lot you're you're a, you're a potential source of revenue in a lot of ways know what those ways are you know and be ready to walk away David thanks for coming in yeah. greatly appreciate it Chris great to talk to you again hey always a pleasure Dan thanks so much for having me not a problem David Musto from here at the Wharton School Christopher Peterson out at the University of Utah for more insight from Knowledge at Wharton please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.